Today is, is the start of a new year for me. I wasn't with you last week, but at the beginning of every year, we take a Sunday and we call it Vision Sunday, and we talk about just what God might be doing at Village this next year. We also remind ourselves of our vision statement, our core values to stay on track with those. Now, when we come to Vision Sunday, it's always an interesting thing because we have all kinds of different ideas of what this Sunday should be about. When I'm thinking of planning my, my year for my home, I'm thinking very specifics, like on this date, we're going to do this, and on this date, we're going to do this, and we're going to do a vacation on this date. And so it's all very programmatic, for lack of a better word, in my home. But when we come to planning in a church, I want us to think very differently about Vision Sunday. I, I don't want to stand up here and list you everything every ministry is going to do this year. We don't know all of it that every ministry is going to do this year, especially at the end of the year. But really, that, that's taking a programmatic approach to, to church and being the body of Christ. And what we want to do is to take a heart approach, a spiritual pro- approach. And so in preparing for today, I, I met with the staff and I asked questions like, what do you see God doing at Village? What kind of heart do we need to do what God is doing at Village? Met with the elders and asked the same thing. And, and some of you, I've asked that same thing. What do we need to be like? What do our hearts need to be like for God to continue to work here at Village? I'm excited about what God has done this last year. So many things. And, and we, we, we saw some difficult things. We saw people leaving for Texas because of jobs and, and other places. But we saw God retooling village and restocking and re-equipping. And I, I saw so many of you stepping up and rising up to take leadership positions, to take ministry positions, to fill in those gaps. It was a fantastic thing. As an elder board, we were talking even about living nativity and, and thinking through what, what was accomplished at living nativity. And the consensus was that really that was probably one of the most impactful things that we've done as a church for the gospel since I've been here. And that was because everyone pulled together in a step of faith. And we saw over 400 people come through. And every one of them heard the gospel, clearly presented. It was a wonderful event because you were willing to step up, because you were willing to say, what might God be doing if I give him a weekend? What might God do if I give him a week? Some of you, it was more than the weekend as you built sets and designed props and scripts and things like that. But God is doing so many things. One of the the common themes that I heard as I talked with different people preparing for today is we really believe God is doing something special at Village. We want to see him do a work in 2016 and see what he has in store. And so as I I prayed through where we're at as a church, my thought is, okay, what, what do we need to have in our hearts? What attitudes and mindsets do we need to have for God to be able to work? Because there's things we can do that can stop God working from here. At at least God stopped working through us. His plan will still go on. It just may not be through us if our hearts aren't right. But so how can we make sure we are a church that is ready for God to work, that is ready to see God do incredible things this next year? This last year, we've also seen a, a rapid cultural change, haven't we? If any of you have been following the news, you saw a, a succession of events in, in the last year unlike any year I have ever seen in my short life, in, in the scope of history, my short life. 
we saw a cultural change that included a redefinition of marriage by the Supreme Court. We, we saw the Planned Parenthood exposed, and we're still waiting to see where that momentum leads and if a momentum leads somewhere where it needs to lead. We saw transgender issues celebrated come to the surface with Bruce Jenner being called courageous. We've seen laws allowing biological males to enter girls' locker room and change with the girls and the girls called intolerant if they don't like that. We've seen Christian universities vilified for requiring teachers to hold to Christian theology and worship one true God. We saw the Ashley Madison scandal this last year. And not only thousands of government officials, but hundreds of pastors taken down because of that. This is a hard list to read. We saw a lady put in jail for five days for refusing to sign gay marriage licenses. We've seen Christian views ridiculed. And that's just the cultural shift, the moral shift that we've seen this last year. And, it is, and that's not even counting the terrorist attack and some of the things that, that we, we could fall into fear for. So how do we respond to that? How do we as a church go to 2016 ready to deal with those things. And we're going to deal with a few of those issues very specifically in in some um, topical times together. But really today is more about what kind of heart do we need? See, I've seen people respond to this in different ways. One one cardinal, rather, Cardinal Francis George, um, said this, and and I've seen this quote many times this year, and I I went and verified it, and he was trying to express what, what the secularization of our society could bring and where it was going. And he said, I expect to die in my bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. And that's where a lot of people stopped, but that's not where the quote stopped. The quote went on, and he said, his successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. Men and women of village, we are part of God's church and we are salt and light. And this list is not a list that should make us run and hide. And I've heard people talking about the Benedict option. I don't know if you've heard about this where and remove themselves from society, remove themselves from government and just cloister themselves together into their own, circle the wagons into their own little community and just ignore the world. That's not the option. Makes me think of the movie The Village. I don't know if you've seen that, but (laughs) really fascinating idea. That's not the biblical option though because that's disengaging from a lost and dying world that so desperately needs the light, right? And so how do we respond? Do we run scared or do we shine our lights brighter, even if it means being ridiculed? Darkness needs a light. Do we become angry and bitter at society and everyone that that sees us only sees rants and ravings about the evils of society? Or are they going to see something different, an answer? Are we going to retreat and be hermits or are we going to engage even though it's the most difficult time to engage? Some of those things have been on my heart for Village this year too. And the verses I want to go to today are familiar verses, but they answer both of those questions. How do we engage a dark world? And how do we make ourselves ready for what God might be doing here 
to be a light to that dark world. Turn with me, and we're going to look at a couple verses today. Turn with me to John 13, 33 to 35. And my goal this morning isn't to depress you about where society's at, but to say there's an answer, and we as the church are carrying that. There's hope. John 13, 33 through 35, and, and we want to look at a couple passages, but this section is, the, the scene is the upper room, and it's right after the, the Last Supper, and Jesus has just announced that somebody's going to betray him, and, and he, he's um, called out Judas in that way, and he knows that this is the eve of his, his arrest, the eve of, of his crucifixion, and he knows his disciples are about to go through it, Right? They're about to see their rabbi, their teacher, that they've spent all this time hanging on a cross, dying. And they're about to scatter for the most part until God brings them back together. And so Jesus says this, and, and this is just not what I would say at this point. I'd be preparing them a whole different way, but he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And he's just preparing them for what's coming. But then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is a wrong timing for this command. They're, they're about to see their Lord and Savior crucified. And, he, and he should be, this should be a call to arms, a, a call to rally. It says, love one another as I have loved you. Then verse 35, and this verse, I believe, speaks to why he's saying this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me read that again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus was preparing them not to disengage but he was preparing them to engage and be a light and show people who Jesus is and make a difference in everyone around them. And he says, you'll do that by taking my love and loving each other. So I want to explore that a little bit today. I want to explore that a little bit today and and look at a couple passages in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. We see another familiar passage. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Like, yeah, we're going to trap Jesus this time. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is asked, how do you categorize all of the commandments? If you could narrow it down, if you could simplify it, what would you say? And Jesus says, love God first and foremost with your whole being and then love others. And then he has the nerve to say, on these two commands depend all other commands. The law and the prophets. Praise God, he simplifies things. I need things simple sometimes. And, and so he's saying, love God, love others. And that's what you see on the screen. And, and he simplifies this to try to, to bring the disciples back to what they need to be doing. He's trying to tell the, the Pharisees and all those around, these are essential. 
if we're to have a heart that God can use, if we're to have a heart and be a church that can engage culture, we've got to start with what we know. We've got to start with the first two commands, love God and love others. Otherwise, we will be ineffective. And so I've titled today, Love God, Love Others, Selflessly Living Out Our Faith in Everyday Life. And I know coming today that that's something you've all heard. I've preached it before. I've talked about it. And as I looked through the New Testament and looking up some of these verses and as I I talked with staff and elders, the concept of we need to be passionate for God and deepen our love for Him is huge. We need to to be sold out for God in every area of our life. But then out of that, that's got to change how we treat each other. Not just in this building, but everyone around us. And so we see really a sequence in those two, two verses. The first is that God loves us. The Almighty God loves us perfectly first before we love Him. The second, we love Him. We are to respond and love Him all inclusively in every part of life. And out of that, we love others. We are so impacted by that love, we can't help but selflessly love others. So it's simple, right? He's just given us two commands. He's narrowed it down to two commands. How hard is that? You know, you parents, sometimes you leave your kids at home and, and you're like, okay, I just have two commands. Keep your brother and sister alive. Keep the house standing. You know, maybe, I don't know what it is, but you, you try to narrow it down, right? And, and if you come home and that's done, you're like, yes, it's success. So Jesus narrows it down, love God, love others. And, and, and these themes are reiterated over and over. As I was looking through the New Testament, hundreds of places, these two commands are given. It's not just in this passage. It's a theme that runs through Paul's writing. It's a theme that runs through John's writing. Just read 1 John. That's all it's about. But it's often the simple commands we struggle with, right? It's, it's a quote that I put up there from, from Stephen Lawson. The hard sayings of Jesus are not hard to understand, just hard to swallow. Ever experienced that? It's the simple things. Things like, don't speed. Hard to follow. Things like don't be late, be on time. Things like remember your anniversary. I did, by the way. <laughs> Take the kids home, all of them. <laughs> Some of you with young kids, we don't want your kids to stay here. But spiritually, think of some of the simple commands. Rely on God fully. That's hard. Pray. Be diligent in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Man, that's such a simple command. Why do we struggle with it? Be in His Word. Love God. Love others. And so today we come to simple sayings. Two commands. But they're hard because so many other things are trying to distract us from those. Three points, and I gave you the three points. I want to go back through them and and explain them a little bit more, prove them. First is God loves us first, and it's got to start there. God loves us first. In 1 John 4, 19, I'll read it to you. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We'll get to that second verse in point three. But the first, the foundation of understanding how to love God, how to love others, the foundation is that God loves us first. 
In Romans 5.8, we see that God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion of God, opposed to God, while we still hated God, He died for us. Praise God. While we had turned our backs on Him, He initiated love. And in fact, we know from Scripture we are unable to initiate love for God without Him initiating first. He's got to take the first step. We have created this divide and He takes the step to love us and send His Son to die on the cross for us. And then we respond. And so the the foundation of our ability to love God, our ability to love others selflessly, comes that God loves us first. Let, Let that sink in for a minute. We, we, we throw this around, oh yeah, God loves me. But, but think of some of the names of God. Think of some of the attributes of God. The infinite, almighty, awesome, eternal God loves you. It's in little chills down the back. And that's the foundation for how we're able to respond both to God in our vertical relationship and then to each other in our horizontal relationships. God loves us first. The infinite, almighty, awesome God loves us perfectly first. Second point there, and this is we get to Jesus' two commands that he sums everything up with. We're to love God. We're to respond and love him all-inclusively in every part of life. I read the Matthew passage, but I'd like to look at the Mark passage This is one of those sections that's in in several of the Gospels. Matthew and Mark record situations where Jesus is answering and uses this. Luke actually records a separate incident where Jesus asks someone else this question and gets them to answer these two commands. It looks as if this was just part of Jesus' core teaching and he repeated it often because sometimes the simple things are hard. So turn to Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34. Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34 parallel passage to the Matthew one I read. But I want to dig into this a little bit more. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, "What commandment is the most important of all?" And you have to understand the scribes, they had all these rankings for commandments. They had 613 separate commandments that I, they identified they were trying to follow out of the law. They had divided those into two parts. 365 were the negative commands, you shall not. 248 were the positive commands. Then they divided them into heavy and light, and it became a way to measure your piety. So so heavy and light, most important, lesser important. So if you could somehow, and, and for me, I envision an Excel spreadsheet. They probably didn't have that. But, you know, where you rank every command and say, I'm following these 10. You're following these 10, but mine rank higher than you. See what they were doing? Where's the heart in that? Are, are they loving God or are they loving self? They're loving self, even though they're trying to obey God. And, and so that's, that's the, the attitude that this is coming. That's the environment that this question is coming. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, and this is... Um, where we read in Matthew, the most important is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he begins to quote from the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. And the, the Shema was something that every God-fearing Jew recited at least twice a day. And it started with hero Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And so Jesus starts with the familiar, reminding them what they already know. And when we read the Lord is one, we often think in, in, in our, our theological minds, oh, he's talking the Trinity there. Now keep in mind that the, the doctrine of the Trinity is still being de- de- fleshed out in Scripture and revealed. The revelation is still coming. Uh, whereas in, in Deuteronomy, what this meant to the Jewish mind is the Lord is God alone. The Lord one, Yahweh one, is literally how it's written in Hebrew. And, and I was listening to someone talk about the Hebrew mindset and they said, yes, that it does refer to the Trinity, but more than that, it referred to that Yahweh is God above all other gods. He is God alone. There is no other. And so it was monotheism versus polytheism saying Yahweh is the only one we should worship. And Jesus here is using that to say Yahweh is the supreme one that we should love. He deserves our love above all else. If we love anything more than God, we're disobeying that command. That's hard. Easy to say I love God more, but when we start to think through what we think about at night, what we go to bed dreaming of, what, what our, our hopes and, and aspirations are, we start to think through what we really love. Right? And so it's a challenge to say, do I love Yahweh alone above all else? Jesus goes on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes to the familiar passage that we saw in Matthew. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And what he's doing there, he's not actually trying to categorize each individual part of our body, like love them with your arm or your head or your leg or whatever. He's using the four different parts or these four different things to illustrate we are to love him with our entire being. It's a, it's a statement of entirety, and he's using these four examples to say every part of us. And these aren't just the surface parts like an arm and a head and a leg. These are the things that are, make up our fundamental nature, representing our inner selves. Every part of us is to be devoted to God. One commentator worded it very succinctly, the entire person given over to God. What a great way to word it. When we say we want to love God, we want to love God first, it's about our entire person being sold out for God, being passionate for God. That was a word that came up often in our discussions. How can we develop more passion for God? And sometimes we're scared of that word, but we're passionate about things. We're passionate about sports things. I see it every time I mention the Dodgers. And three quarters of you are like, you know, you're passionate about something. Some of you have been very passionate about Star Wars, right? Yeah, not me, of course, but some of you. Now, there may or may not be one of our pastors this morning wearing Star Wars socks. But um, (laughs) but I've seen it because on Facebook, everyone's talking about Star Wars and all the different theories and, well, who's Ray's lineage and all, you know, well, there's these four options and I can tell you which one it is later, but... um, We get passionate about things and it consumes us and and we're not afraid to talk about it. We're not afraid to get excited about it. And then we talk about God. Get my point? God wants us to be passionate for Him. To love Him with our heart, mind, strength, our being. 
with every part of us to hold nothing back from God. It's a wholehearted devotion to God is how I would summarize that. None of us are there. I'll just, I'll just say that right up front. I'm not there. You're not there. We all, in this lifetime, as we're being sanctified and looking forward to glory with our Savior, we're growing in this area. And so how are we as a church going to be passionately sold out for God? How are we going to be excited about being in His Word? How are we going to be excited to come and worship Him? One of the things that I, I would love to do this next year and came from some of your suggestions is I'd love for us to do a worship and prayer night or two and just focus on loving our God, being passionate for our God. How are we going to make sure that we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, and with all our strengths? How will that permeate every part of our lives? Now, I can sit here and and pound and say, we need to do better at this. But that's why I, I gave you point number one. The answer isn't to try harder. Although it's okay to try harder. So maybe that's part of the answer. The answer is to see how much God loves me. To see that I am a wretch without God. That I am lost without God. And He plucked me out of my sin and my bondage to sin. And through His grace, He made me His son. How can I not love Him back? The answer isn't to simply force myself to love God more. You know how that works if you despise someone and you're just going to force yourself to love them more. The answer is to really develop a heart that understands what He's done for us and loves Him. This was part of our goal with Behold Our God, looking through the names of God, to enjoy Him, to love Him. God loves us first, so we love God fully with all of our being. And finally, the next place Jesus goes with it, the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so we get to point three, the simple commands. Love others. It's, we, it, it's that we are so impacted by that love that God gives us that we can't help but selflessly love others. And so, so if you picture this in a diagram, it's that God loves us and that pours down on us and so we respond to Him in love and that defines that vertical relationship. But then we are so amazed at that and God's Spirit and, and God's love so envelops us that it just spills out all over everyone else. We can't even help loving other people. The second command from Jesus that He gives is from Leviticus 19.18. It was another command out of the Torah. And it was a practical outworking of our love for God. Because we love God, we love others. And we have to understand love a little bit here. And we don't have time to to get deep into this. But love isn't just, oh, I I feel really nice about you. You're really cool. You like Star Wars too. No, love is acting selflessly on behalf or for the well-being of another person. For their care. Do you catch that? It's acting selflessly for the well-being and care of another person. And love always is selfless. True love, godly love is selfless. 
One rabbi used to explain the Leviticus passage by saying it's to be useful and beneficial to another. I like that. I can see that because it helps me understand that love is an action rather than just a feeling. Now, I'm not saying the feelings don't come, but, but what love is an action and a decision that is followed by the feelings. The feelings are the trailer. Love as an action is the car. And if you try to back up a trailer for too long, you'll jackknife it. But when we understand that we're to act selflessly for each other, then we begin to understand Jesus' commands. It's interesting because he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Luke passage, he goes on to define what neighbor is, but with the story of the Good Samaritan. But it involves both unbelievers and believers. And we love them in different ways. We love them all. But for unbelievers, we love them so much that we want them to see the gospel, right? We want them to know Christ because we don't want them to spend eternity in hell. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with um, Penn and Teller and, and Penn Gillette, one of the magicians from Penn and Teller. He's an atheist. In fact, he's debated different people. He's written some books on atheism. And he said one of the more profound and convicting things that I have read to Christians. He said, and it was in the context of saying is, I, I don't have a problem with Christians proselytizing. Pretty interesting for an atheist to say. He said, if you really believe what you say you believe, you better be proselytizing. And he said this, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. As I read that, I realized that if we love one another, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, people see Christ. And when we don't tell them about Christ, then they can equate that with not loving them. And rightfully so. Love God, love others. For believers, we love each other by by sharing in each other's lives. Throughout the New Testament, we have the concept of koinonia. And koinonia means a sharing, a a, a sharing of life together, a sharing of load together, of burdens together, a sharing of work together. It means being together. And that's the image in the New Testament of what it means to love each other, for the church to love others. This is all part of our response to God's love. A couple of thoughts. This fights an inward focus. One of the things that can happen when when we have external pressures from culture and we see culture melting down, as well as some of the the trials, and and so many have gone through so much this last year and you've seen God's faithfulness, but we have to be on guard that we as a church don't then turn inward and turn to ourselves individually and as a church. And loving others is God's antidote to that inward focus. A couple of other things. First John 4, 19 and 20, which I read earlier. I want to go back to that. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that's part of that's just a couple verses out of a much bigger passage where John goes on to say the same thing over and over. And that's strong language, isn't it? If if I say I love God and I can't bring myself to love you, I am a liar. Think about that for a minute. We, we don't like that because we all have people that we don't get along with. In a group of 200, there's probably one or two you don't get along with, or, or 199 or something, I mean, that are different than you, right? In a family at home, we rub shoulders and we're there 24 hours a day and sometimes we're grumpy and sometimes we're, we're sinners. We're, we're sinners a lot. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. See, I cannot love God and fail to love my brother. And I think we've sugarcoated that principle in our relationships. This is hard because we often say, there's some people I'm just going to avoid. There's some people I'm just going to tolerate. Anyone ever felt like that? No, don't raise your hands. Let me be really clear. Scripture teaches that tolerating instead of loving is sin. Let that sink in a little bit. Tolerating instead of loving is sin. Let me unpack that for you of of why. What's the source of our ability to love each other? God's love for us. Love is defined as a selfless act for another person. So if I'm being selfless and my source is God, not the other person, what is stopping me from loving somebody? A break in that relationship with God, not that other person. A couple points down. I'll, I'll fill this blank in now. Loving others is not dependent on the other person because it's an act entirely for them. When, I can't, when I'm simply tolerating someone or when I'm frustrated and I'm not dealing with it and I leave enmity, that is an act of selfishness because I'm saying how I feel about them is more important than how God feels about them. And if we are to do God's work as a church, we have to have relationships that are so radically different from this world that people rise up and say, what is different? See, there's, there's no real benefit to the world or, or there's no impact on the world if I happen to love somebody that's just like me or that is really nice to me. The impact on the world is when they see someone that hates me or someone that is, is talking down at me or someone that annoys me and I still love them. That's when the world says, this is different. This is extraordinary. What's going on? You know, we have a world that when we say we love God, thinks we're foolish. But when we, they see us love each other, they ask questions. And it lets us tell them about the love for God. If we try to tell them about God and we're not loving each other, we have nothing to offer them. And so Jesus says, love God, love others. How do we love instead of tolerating? One is we've got to see that relationships aren't about me. It's not about whether I agree with somebody. It's not about whether that we have something in common. It's about the fact that every one of you is made in the image of God. And so am I. 
and every one of you that have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. He gave His life to secure your salvation. And that gives a worth that is far more than whether I like you or not. See, love God and love others can only happen if we strive to be selfless. A couple of other thoughts out of these verses. Our inability to love each other, strife, enmity between us. It's a relationship problem, but it's a relationship problem with God, not with the other person. I mentioned it's not dependent on the other person. Think of God's example again and why I put point number one in there. God loved me when I was the scum of the earth. When I was pretty scummy. I like that word. Still am pretty scummy sometimes. And God still loves me. So if I'm following his example, I will love no matter what. Some enemies of loving others are criticism, superiority, thinking I'm better than somebody, bitterness, things that I've let go and haven't dealt with and either haven't forgiven or haven't confronted the person or or tried to resolve, an unforgiving spirit. Those are all things that Satan would love to, to use to stop us from loving each other because then he affects our relationship with God. When I think of how we move forward as a church, we've got to love God and be passionate about Him, but we've got to learn to love each other better to continue growing in that area. A couple of other truths about these commands. If you look a little further in the Mark passage, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And you see the the Jewish view of he is one there, that he is alone. There's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That is so cool. But the truth there that the scribe said that Jesus affirmed is that loving God and loving others is more pleasing to God than heartless spiritual routine. Much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices, than the whole sacrificial worship system that they had. Loving God passionately and and adoring Him and then loving each other is, is more than just going through the motions. It's more than just attending every Sunday. It's more than just coming every time the church doors are open. It means more... Than, than doing a two-hour quiet time every day. Now, now, those things aren't bad. We should be doing those. But it's the heart behind those. Do we do those out of a love for God and a love for each other? And finally, the, the other truth about these commands I want to mention, or I have two more. The second one is all other commands fall under these two. And that's out of the Matthew 22 parallel passage I read. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. All 613 laws come back to, does this show love to God? Does this show love to others? What's interesting is he includes the prophets there, the rest of the Old Testament, the writings there. And the prophets were sent to bring people back from a lost culture. And, and, and that, that part of that passage makes me think of how we can apply this in our culture today. 
how do we apply this in a, a moral decay, a moral decline? That's what the prophets were doing. And Jesus says, even the prophets trying to pull people back to Christ depend on are you loving God and are you loving others? He didn't dismiss the other commandments, but he showed that all the other commandments were expressions of these two. Think about the Ten Commandments. Some of you just studied those. The first four of those all deal with loving God, right? You shall have no other gods before you. Keep the Sabbath. The second six of those are all dealing with loving one another. Do not murder. I think we can figure out how that's loving others. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. See, the, all the commands hang on these two. Depend on, they're derived from these two. A couple places where I think, as, I, as I've cogitated that. One is, a lot of those commands that Jesus says hang on whether I love God or love others, a lot of those are just daily life commands. Right? Be careful what kind of fabrics you put together in your clothes. Be careful what kinds of food you eat. We, we could go through the specifics, but these are daily life commands. Don't eat winged insects. Praise God. Put a parapet around your roof. That's one of the commands that we have. Put a, put a rail. Why? Because to love others, we don't want them to fall off and die. So how do we take that to today's life? Because if Jesus says all of these ordinary daily life commands come down to love God, love others, the same is true for us today. And, and get this, follow, follow me with this. That means every area of my life, every area of my daily life, as I try to put my faith into practice, is affected by am I loving God and am I loving others? And, and the, the, the sub point of this is selflessly living our faith in everyday life. I, I don't want this year just to be we should love God and love others more. Woohoo, we feel better. But how do we put that into daily life? How does the young mom with multiple kids that are sick and crying and screaming love God and love others? She loves God because she's showing his love to them. She loves others by selflessly hanging in there when it is so hard. And that gives meaning to what she's doing. How do you tomorrow morning when you go to work love God and love others at work? You do that by, by respecting your boss by being careful how you talk about him or her to other people. Because God said, obey them or servants, slaves, obey your masters as if you were obeying whom? God. And so it's an act of a love for God to obey and respect them. But it's an act of love for others to not be tearing down that the work environment. And it gets so intensely practical because if I'm working with non-believers and they see me complaining about my boss the whole time and criticizing him and, and just tearing him down, are they going to want to hear the gospel? No, we're not loving them and we're not loving God. And so this year we want to explore how do we take our, our faith and put it into everyday life? When I walk in my house at night and I'm tired and it's been a long day and football or baseball is on or Star Wars and I, and I just want to watch that, 
I have choices there. But the root of that choice is, am I going to love God or am I going to love others? Or love God and others. Or am I going to love myself? And I love God when I walk in and I show my wife what it means for God to love his church by loving her. I love my kids and I love others when I walk in and I bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and I don't provoke them to wrath and I don't drive them away from God. I love my kids and I love God when I show my kids what a heavenly father should be like in imperfect, minuscule ways. We can never measure up to that. But God forbid I teach them that their heavenly father is just waiting to to discipline them without any love and is just self-centeredly wanting to do his own thing. Do you see how love for God and love for others begin to affect every area of life? We can go on and on and on. We we can't. (laughs) But how do we apply this at school, at secular school? How we go, we're a little bit. Uh, How we go about our work, how we go about our classes. How people see us work excellently for God affects their view of God. It's an issue of loving God and loving others. How do I deal with the neighbor that's blasting their music at 3 a.m.? How do I deal with them in a loving way that expresses truth but opens the door for the gospel? Now we begin to see God's heart for our lives. Love God, love others. Final thought about this. These are contagious. Loving God and loving others are contagious. I have a picture here that, that is my way of, of showing that it's contagious. You have no idea what this is. I know that. Earlier this week, my wife wrote some notes to our kids and put them in their lunchbox and on their mirror about how much um, we love them. You never know what kind of effect that's going to have. But she's trying to love others and trying to show them that. So a couple mornings ago or nights ago, I forget which, I go in my bathroom and this is on my drawer. This is my drawer. And you can't read that, I don't think. But but that's a note from my daughter. And she's saying, Daddy, I love you so much. Thank you for being my daddy. Now that I'll tear up for. (laughs) Where'd she get that idea? from mom. It's contagious. When we have a passion for God, when we come together and say, you will never believe what God did in my life this week. You will never believe what I'm learning. When we get together in community groups and and we talk about God's word, that's contagious. When we love each other selflessly without expecting anything back and, and love each other no matter the hurt or the difficulty, that spreads And other people leave a note for their dad, figuratively. Simple commands. God loves us. We love him. We love others. But they have to be the foundation of what we're doing here at Village if we're going to see God move this year. They have to be. They're the two greatest commands according to someone named Jesus. Let's trust that. I just want to read, read our vision statement to you. It's Vision Sunday, and 
Like I said, I'm not going to go into a lot of details of how we're going to implement everything, but it's good to be reminded in the last five minutes, I'd like to remind us of our vision statement. It's on the back of your notes there. See, we remind ourselves of this every year, even though some of you have been here a long time because it protects us from drift. It, it, It protects us from veering off. It keeps us from losing heart when we can say, oh yeah, this is why we're doing things. We have a lot of new families with us this year, and so it helps you know what we're about as a church. And at Village, we want to be a family of vibrant, growing disciples that are building Christ-focused families that are in turn discipling the people in our circles or our communities to follow Jesus. And we we, we sort of distilled that down to just a simple phrase, building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him. Do you see love God and love others in there? Christ-focused. Doing all things for Him. That's loving God discipling others, building families and being a family of families, discipling our community, reaching out to our community, bringing them to faith and then bringing them along in the faith. That's all part of loving others. And if I had, if I had you underline a word there, it would be disciple. And we've talked about this a lot in, in recent years and I'm so thrilled that discipleship is happening, that there are one-on-one discipleship, there's group discipleship, But we want discipleship to be part of our DNA. Take six months, study together, pray together, love others by investing in others. And then as part of our our outworking of our vision statement, we took the idea of discipleship and say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean in a church? What should our core values as an individual be? What should our core values as a community be? We have those on the wall here. And these come out of, okay, what are we discipling people to do? And and it's the four core values of outreach that we are constantly trying to share the gospel with those that don't know God, both next door and around the world. And, And that's part of loving them. And I only have a passion for doing that if I love God passionately with my whole being and give myself up to Him. Second core value is community. We've talked about that a lot with loving others today. And we can see how God has designed his church to be a community. And we can't grow without community, the community of believers. Because God has given us so many commands that can only be fulfilled in the community of believers. And so we wanted to keep doing things that engage community. You heard in announcements, um, we're we're starting a thing on the third Sunday of every month. Just for anyone that is going to go out to lunch anyway, if you want to grab your lunch, come back and eat together, you're welcome to. No pressure, no one's, no sign-ups, anything like that. Just a casual time together because we want to be community. I like being with you guys. I really do. And so if you want to eat lunch with me and my family, if you can tolerate my kids, no, love my kids, <laughs> come join us for lunch. And, and, and that came about, and this is what I love about the body of Christ, that came about because um, one, of, one of the members of our church said, hey, what do you think of this idea, Pastor Ron? I think it's a great idea. So she put the flyer in the, the worship folder, and here we are. I love to see that in the body of Christ. Our third core value is spiritual growth. It's the, the, the third sign on the wall. We are here because our foundation is the good word of God. Our foundation is our relationship with God. This is love God. And we're to be growing daily in that relationship. And so this year, we're going to be doing some, some cool things to help that. I mentioned some worship and prayer times. And even today is prayer Sunday. Don't ignore that. A spiritual discipline that is so important in our personal lives and corporately is prayer. 
So stay and pray together. Even if you don't like to pray out loud, stay and and pray silently with the group. None of the leaders will make you pray. But let's pray together. We want to be growing spiritually. I encourage you to get involved in a community group. We have two, three going now. If those get flooded, we'll add some more. And that's a chance that we have to care for each other, to love each other, but also to love God as we, we work on applying God's word together. But let's be about what God wants us to be about. A couple of, of just hints of what's to come. We're going to be going through 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians is, is a, a, a um, response or a, a revisit of 1 Corinthians, except it's after the 1 the Corinthians. Sorry. It's after the warnings of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to get my words out. And so in 1 Corinthians, it's boom, boom, boom. You need to do this. This is wrong and you need to fix this. 2 Corinthians is all about restoration, reconciliation. They got some of it right this time. And so it's encouraging them to be servants and ambassadors. And we'll deal with trials there. We'll deal with reconciliation. We'll deal with a whole number of spiritual disciplines. Then we'll take some time, deal with some some, um, individual topics that some of you have been asking about. And then we'll jump back to Isaiah. And I'm excited about Isaiah. We always want to be, be doing some Old Testament, doing some New Testament, different types of books of the Bible, because the whole counsel of God's word is powerful and effective. And we'll be looking at um, what Isaiah has to say. Isaiah has some of the, the most difficult warning passages and, and, and warnings of, of walking away from God, and at the same time, some of the most beautiful worship passages. And so we want to see how that works itself out. Our fourth core value, fourth thing that is part of what a disciple is, is ministry. And this is where so many of you have stepped up and that is so appreciated. And we want to provide more ways to get involved in ministry. I'd love to do another shape class this year to help you explore how to get involved in ministry. Easiest way though, to get involved in ministry, ask a ministry leader, hey, can I be involved there? Um, It's that simple. Out in the foyer, we have a, a um, turnstile, a rack that has a whole bunch of ministry spotlights. Every one of them tells you how to get involved in that ministry, who to talk to. Love for you to be using your gifts and talents to serve God and his kingdom. Those are our four core values. Everything we do at Village has to fall under one of those four and support one of those four because that's what we believe represents a disciple, a follower of God. So this year as we love God and love others, let's engage together. Let's see what God does. He did some amazing things in 2015. I view 2016 as how can we build on that? How can we, we take that and go further and, and share the gospel with the lost and dying world? Love each other. How can we help you that are going through difficult times know that God is faithful? Know that God is with you. That happens as a body. So that's a little bit of where we're going in 2016. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, your plans are better than our plans. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are greater than our ways. Lord, I pray that we'd be looking to you this year and that at the start of 2016, it would just be a a refresh to the two simple commands you gave, love God with all our hearts, our whole being, and love others. And Lord, out of that, may that just permeate and invade every ministry here, everything we do here, so that a, a lost and dying, depraved world sees something different. I don't quite know how 
in di- why in difficult times you say the answer is, is to love others. But we know you said that. And so we follow that, God, and look forward to seeing how you use that to expand your kingdom, to bring others in, to disciple the people that are here. We look forward to serving you, loving you this year. In Jesus' name, amen.